Good morning, church family. It's my pleasure and privilege to share God's word with you today. Uh, looking at the international mood in the last few months, and recently in the UK, the subject of race is firmly in the headlines. For me, I do believe the gospel is firmly against racism and oppression. Uh, for many, including me, this subject is not an easy one to discuss or to present. The feeling of awkwardness, not knowing what to do or not knowing what to say. There is, there's no way I can cover the whole of this subject in the time that I have here. However, I do pray that something of it will be of some use to you, some help in your own personal reflections and in your own uh, family and ministry. So, maybe an illustration might be helpful. Okay, let me start. I'll take you to the year 2000, no, actually, 1999. For me, it was another day in the office. I wasn't a Baptist minister. After relocating to London from the Midlands, I'm now working as an account manager selling computer maintenance contracts for businesses in the city of London. It was pretty hard work calling companies out of, you remember the yellow pages? Uh, it was the, the start of the dot-com era and there was a fear around computers stopping working as we enter into the year 2000. With these fears and possible problems, there was great opportunity for me. As a result, the, the IT industry was, was thriving and booming. There was one client who I'd been negotiating with for months. It was now towards the end of the year, and we had finally agreed terms and costs. And now it was a time to arrange a face-to-face -face meeting to sign the deal with my old file facts and my semi-expensive pen. Their offices were, and still is, in the prestigious building called Canada Tower in London Docklands. At the time, it was the, the tallest building in London. This was, for me, a new experience, being a Brummie, uh, wearing my cheap suit, shiny shoes and briefcase. It got me up to the 50-something floor, through the security, and now to the door of the international organisation. I signed in at reception, as you do, and waited while standing and looking around at this new experience. It was at this point I was thankful for my naivety of what I already, what was really going to happen, what was going to happen next. You see, I happened to be standing at the door of the office of the company's secretary. It was he who I had been negotiating with for months back in the office. Knowing that I was now here for the meeting, he looked over at me and asked 
if I could ask Mr. Dave Mahan to come in for the meeting. Uh, church family, it was at that point where I realised that we're going to have a problem here. You see, at that time, there were not many people who were black and worked in Docklands in 1999. Very few. Most of the employers who were black were night workers, uh, security guards and contract cleaners, people of that kind of caliber. Maybe this man thought that I was a porter. Maybe I did not look like the Mr. Dave Mahon he had been speaking about on the phone. It was at this point where I disclosed to him that I was indeed Dave Mahon, who he was been speaking with on the phone for a number of months. And I was indeed here today to formalize the contract for our company's uh, computer maintenance contract. That feeling of awkwardness was definitely there in that meeting. Me, I didn't mention it. I needed it he. But we both felt it. Whatever it is. And we did nothing about it. Which brings us to the statement of the Apostle Paul again in Galatians 2.20, which is our passage of scripture for this morning. I have been crucified with Christ. And I now no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. A very familiar verse of the great promise of the salvation that we can have. Our life of faith and discipleship justification, there's just so much in here, uh, speaking about how we are free because of the work of the cross, full of good doctrine, full of God, good theology. But let's look at this story um, and let's see what God may be speaking to us uh, today. Um, I refer you to verse number 11. Of the same chapter, this is chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles. We see Paul and Peter having a disagreement about the same issue of race. And Paul is not backing down, oh no. He wanted justice for the new converts in the church who were the Gentiles. Paul went further to accuse Peter. These are two leaders having a disagreement. And James and his followers, he continues to accuse them of a very strong thing which Jesus spoke about so many times, hypocrisy. According to his account, before Peter had arrived in Antioch, both Jews and Gentiles were eating and fellowshipping together. The identity of circumcision for the Jew and fellowship according to the law of Moses 
was of no significance, no importance, as these Jews have now found their salvation and their identity in the Messiah. But now, unfortunately, it had all changed again. The law of Moses was now back, or slowly coming back into the minds of the Jewish believers. The blessing that was promised through the nations, through Abraham, all the way up to Jesus, the promised uh, king, had somehow been stopped or put on hold or up for question in this particular church community. Somehow Peter had forgotten his sermon on the day of Pentecost, that God now was pouring out his spirit, not just on the Jews, but also on the Gentiles. He was pouring out his spirit on all flesh. All people now can have access to this grace, which we call Salvation in Jesus Christ. And in this moment of awkwardness in this story, Peter had also forgotten the vision that he had received from the Lord, which had led him to visit the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. And we see that story in Acts chapter 10. Lockdown had returned in this particular church community. And social distancing between races was back in full flow again, bringing further oppression to the new Gentile believers. They were being forced to conform to the customs which were not theirs. And this was somehow to justify them continually to be the true Christians. It's really interesting, but not uncommon, that this story shows none or very little of the feelings of the oppressed in this particular story to the Gentiles. So brothers and sisters, what can we learn from a little bit of this story? The first point I want to present to you is the question, who is the Paul in our church today? Who is the Paul maybe in the public square today, in the community today? Who is that person or persons? Remember, Paul was a Hellenistic Jew. And he was able, with his uh, identity, to challenge Peter on this issue. Peter's a Jew. He's a Hellenistic Jew. They're able to challenge each other. Why also? Another point is that his life and work before his conversion on the road to Damascus was really to proclaim and enforce the law of Moses. To point out the oppressing, but sorry, to point of oppressing and ordering the death of so many Christians. That's what his passion was. As a result, this man, he really does have a testimony. He really was forgiven. However, he still had scars to prove his past life. He lived in the fear that the very people that he would minister to would reject him because 
of this horrible past. I want to bring you to verse number 18 of the same chapter 2. And Paul makes it clear here once again, reflecting on his life as he is dealing with this discourse with Peter and the others in this particular church community. He makes it clear that he does not want to return to that life again by living that life of the law. That life that causes division, superiority and difference. On the other hand, we also know that Paul, not only a Hellenistic Jew, but was also a Roman citizen, which gave him leverage and a platform to speak on behalf of the Christian Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, we need to be looking for those kinds of people in our church, in our community. We need to support them. We need to pray for them and seek as they continue to really seek for unity, not just with one group, but with so many different groups. Not an easy role, but some are called to that, to be the one who speak on behalf of the voiceless. And on the other hand, let us not be like these individuals in this particular story. Let us not be like James and Barnabas. For when the voice speaks out, like Paul speaks out, there is a tendency for the awkwardness to rise up. And in that dynamic, there is a tendency for us to bow to that pressure and conform back to the division and to enter into that place of security in our superiority and to identify our other and our difference. And finally, to encourage the oppressed to be like us. Our second point I'd like to share with us, the first one was, again, who are the Pauls in our community? Who are they? Who are the people that will speak up on behalf of the voiceless, but also challenge the ones who have power and privilege? Second point is our identity is found in Christ. And this is very, very simple and very, very clear to us as Christians, and it's not an aha moment. It was an aha moment when we, uh, um, we, when we came to know Jesus Christ. But I do feel that in this particular story, we need to rediscover once again that our true identity is in Christ Jesus and Him alone. For the powerful Jew, this was an opportunity to realize once again that true salvation and identity is found in the saving work of Jesus, the Messiah which for a Jew is extremely radical. I mean, even for Jews today, this is a, a radical step to believe that Jesus, who died, who wasn't the king, who wasn't the, the one who was going to come in and save the whole of the, the oppressed people from over, over the, the Roman Empire, how could he be our saviour? Our saviour is supposed to be on the throne 
and for the Gentile, on the other hand, this meant that what was unclean, which was them, was now made clean by the work of the cross, enabling both groups to be one in Christ Jesus. So therefore, brothers and sisters, the Gentile in Christ, in their true identity, in their true reality, no longer needs to be shunned or pressed. This was and is God's perfect plan for humankind. So in conclusion, in Christ, our identity in Christ, all nations are reconciled and loved. And for me, this should be our witness as believers, especially in this time of racial tension, oppression, stories, some true, some not true. Our Christian witness comes from a confidence and centrality that we are both loved and accepted and walk in our identity in Christ Jesus, both the oppressed and also the strong. In this particular story, it's the Jew. And the third point <clears throat> I'd like to just share with you, which may be of some help in journeying through this very awkward conversation. The third point is, I would suggest is, make friends rather than help. Make friends rather than help. Let us somehow look for the stranger in our community. In some towns and villages and cities, the strangers are, are just not that visible for many, many reasons. Some of their ways of, of life and food and spirituality will be completely different to ours. With the rise of diaspora churches and communities, how can we as the Christian community make friends? Making friends rather than always wanting to help them or change them or even financially give to them is one way that we can embody this unity, learning from them as they learn from us, is a good way that we can support our neighbours and promote a Christian witness. So the three points just to conclude were, who is the influential person who will speak up on behalf of justice in our community? And secondly, that wonderful scripture which speaks about our identity being in Christ Jesus, which we proclaim, which we shout from the rooftops. But in that identity, we have that diversity. And that diversity of Jew and Gentile with their cultures is the same enrichment that we can have for those who come into the Christian family. And for those who are out of the Christian family who are feeling that oppression, what a great opportunity for us to present a gospel which creates a place for the oppressed 
and the privilege to feel and know their security in the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to this story. <clears throat> you remember the story I was telling you about when I was signing this contract in London? You remember when I was telling you I was in the meeting and he looked at me and I looked at him and he realized who I was? So let's just go back to it. I'm just thinking about it again. So what did I do in that time of awkwardness? When I realized I was being taken advantage of, or maybe I wasn't being taken advantage of, because I wouldn't talk about it. So I said nothing, and he said nothing. But we both got what we wanted, which is what was important to us at the time. Which was what? I got my contract signed. I was happy to get the commission, and he was happy that his computers were secure for another year. You could say, job done. But on reflection, it would have been better to talk about the elephant in the room. But I didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to talk about it. It would have been better to discuss it and open up about it. But I didn't have words, I didn't have language, and neither did he have words and language. So we just did what we needed to do. And I believe in doing that, we missed an opportunity. And as a Christian, I missed an opportunity to talk about our identity, my security, my confidence in Christ in a business setting. May God help us all as believers to reach out to the voiceless and also bring equality for the voiceless so that they can find their confidence and their identity in God.